And welcome to the Grow with Jay and Donna podcast. I'm Jay of the Plant Dad Life. And I'm Donna of Donna Likes Plants. This is the podcast where we talk about indoor house plants and outdoor native flower gardening. So Donna, I've been looking forward to this episode because you interviewed someone who is an expert in outdoor native plants. And as you know, I'm just getting started thinking about planting my yard and my garden for next year and how to incorporate native plants into it. So I'm really excited to listen to this one. Uh, A lot of people want to get into native plant gardening, but just aren't sure where to start. Fall is the perfect season to plan your yard for next year. So this week I've interviewed Angie Hong of Minnesota's Washington Conservation District, and she shared with me some of her top advice for new native flower gardeners. Donna, though, I'm not in Minnesota. I'm in Texas. That's okay. Uh, Angie talks about how to incorporate native plants no matter where you live and has advice for how to find out what plants are native in any region. Oh, okay. Yeah. So do you want to move on to the interview? Let's do it. Let's meet our guest this week. I'm so happy to be here with Angie Hong of Minnesota's Washington Conservation District, who I know as MN Nature underscore awesomeness on TikTok. Angie, I fell in love with your TikTok account because I've been transforming my own yard over the past few years from a grass lawn into native flowers. And I love how you make it easy for people to get started. First, can you tell me a little about yourself, the work you do and how you got started? Yeah, certainly. And thanks so much for having me today, Donna. So I work with a local unit of government called the Washington Conservation District, which is located on the east side of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area in Minnesota. We're right on the border of Wisconsin. And I've actually been in my role since 2006. And what we are doing is managing a shared water education program where we have local partners, cities, counties, and watershed districts all working together to try to protect the lakes, river streams, wetlands, and groundwater we have. We've got a, a lot of water here where I live, um, just to put it in perspective, because I know people are tuning in from all parts of the country. Just in my one county alone, we border on both the Mississippi and the St. Croix River. We've got about 255 lakes and somewhere around a dozen streams, many of which are trout streams. Wow. And then we've got all the groundwater, which is 100% of the drinking water source for us. So water is a pretty big deal around here. When I first started, it was really kind of at the beginning wave of when people were starting to think about native landscaping. Back in 2006, we probably had less than 10 examples in our county of places where there was a rain garden or a native garden that we could point to and say, this is what we're talking about. And that is part of what I really love about my job is that over the past 16 years, I've been able to watch this um, movement really bloom. Get it? Get it? Um, it's just really blooming. So suddenly it's, it's, you know, it went from being kind of this fringe thing that hardly anybody was doing, you know, it became trendy, you know, it's almost going mainstream. So I feel like it's really exciting to, to watch that. Wow. I'm, I'm really encouraged to hear someone who's been working in this field since 2006 to hear you say, 
kind of the change that you've seen that really gives me some hope. I chose to incorporate native plants into my own yard a few years ago. I've always had an interest in biodiversity and protecting the environment, but I've been surprised to see the shift just in my own yard in these years, like the difference that it makes. Could you talk a little bit about why native plants and the benefit to doing this? Yeah, sure. It might not seem immediately intuitive when I told you that I'm a water educator and yet we're talking all about gardening. The reason that we are interested in promoting native landscaping is because the native plants, especially the ones that are prairie plants, have these really deep root structures. And so they don't need to be watered. They're more drought resistant. And they also do a really good job of soaking the water into the ground and preventing runoff pollution. So that's kind of my motivation when I'm talking to people mm -hmm. about native landscaping. But when people come to me, they are more often coming because they would like to see more birds, more butterflies, more bees in their yard. They've maybe heard about the decline mm -hmm. of the monarch butterflies or um, you know, several other native bee species that we have. And they're worried, they wanna know what they can do. Or they've just seen neighbors in the area who are planting native gardens and they think they're really pretty. And so they wanna have one of their own. You know, and then I think the last reason that people are kind of making this shift is just a change in how we wanna spend our free time. Not wanting to spend our free time mowing the lawn and keeping up this super manicured landscape aesthetic. You know, a lot of us are more inclined to wanna to be able to plant something once, watch it bloom, and then have our free time to be able to spend with our friends and family. I do say the secret to a beautiful flower garden is to plant native because of how easy it is. Like the plants like the native climate already. Yeah, it, it's definitely true. And there is a lot of sometimes misunderstanding about what does this word native mean? You know, because you can mm -hmm. go out, you can buy a packet of seeds that say wildflowers. Well, wild to where? You know, so when we're talking about native landscaping, generally most people are operating with the definition that this is from a seed source that is within maybe 200 miles of where you live. So when I live here in, you know, south and eastern Minnesota, I'm looking for plants that grow in that area, in that part of Minnesota or in western Wisconsin. I'm not going to be planting plants that are native to Colorado or native to Florida. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, what you actually grow in your yard is going to vary a lot depending on where you live. But if you're choosing the plants that grow here naturally, they are going to be adapted to your weather conditions. They are going to be adapted to the insects and the animal life that you have in the area. And they're probably also going to be adapted to whatever the soil types are that you have. So you're not trying to fight what is already there, what your palette of landscape is to work with. Right, right. You can get that biodiversity. You can see the beautiful butterflies and the bees and the birds. You can have these beautiful flowers that don't take a lot of work. And then hearing you talk about the value to groundwater and the local water supplies is another added reason. So there's a, a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there really is. <laughs> you mentioned people some folks who are just starting to think about that. Uh, I've seen a lot of folks online that are asking kind of, how do, how do I get started if I have an HOA or thinking about like their neighbors that have these really well manicured lawns and might look, give them the side eye kind of, what would your advice be for someone just starting out, especially in a neighborhood like that? 
This is probably one of the most common questions I get because even though everybody claims that they don't care what their neighbors think, all of us secretly care what our neighbors <laughs> think, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, we don't want people to be gossiping about us. If you live in an HOA, maybe you actually have rules. You don't want to get in trouble with your governing board. Um, so we do have some ways that we've changed the way our organization designs native landscaping over the years to accommodate this kind of reality of us living in this built suburban or urban environment and not maybe wanting to have a wild and woolly landscape. You know, it looks really great when you're out hiking in the prairie and the plants are just all over the place, but that's when you've probably also got 300 acres to work with. And most of us are actually dealing with maybe an eighth of an acre to a quarter of an acre urban yard. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, there's just some kind of design aesthetic tricks that work for basically any yard. If you are landscaping with native plants, um, one of the things, for example, that you're going to want to do is use shorter plants closer to the road and closer to the driveway so that you don't end up with tall plants either flopping over into the road or creating um, some kind of visual block that drivers can't see you know that that's when people start to worry about getting in trouble with the city you know you've got tall plants and um drivers can't see when they're going down the road a lot of times we'll actually encourage people to just leave a little mode turf buffer that's right along the edge of their yard like if you were going to do your whole yard as a native landscape if you just put in a little turf buffer around the edge that will automatically make it look like a man maintained space so instead of looking like you just kind of got lazy and stopped mowing your lawn, it will look like, oh yeah, that that's obviously a garden because it has edges. Using edges, you know, whether that is rock landscaping or even just have a plastic edging around a native planting is another way to say, yes, this is intentional. This is a garden. We talk a lot about, like we have design workshops that we'll put on and we show all sorts of different examples. And we talk about things like, grouping plants together instead of just having the plants spread out willy-nilly all over your garden. It makes it a lot easier for you to maintain too, especially when it comes to be the spring and things start coming up and they don't have flowers yet. And you're looking at everything going, oh my God, I have no idea if this is a weed or if this is a native plant. Um, but you know, it's kind of a Sesame Street thing. It's like, which one of these is not like the other? If you've got, you know, if you've got a grouping of like 10 plants that all look the same. And then there's one little plant that's a different color sticking up in the nest. You go, oh, this one is probably probably the one I got rid of. But it just also helps it to look a little bit more structural, a little bit more planned. It looks more like what we think a garden should look like when things Mm -hmm. are clumped together like that. There's a little bit of evidence too to suggest that for pollinators, this can make it really easy for them to be able to find the species of, you know, because every every insect has a different plant that it specializes in or it goes to. So if you've got, you know, for example, all of your bee balm monarda grouped up in one place, well, that makes it really easy for the bumblebee to just hop from flower to flower to flower. They're not having to zigzag all over your garden trying to find um, each little purple flower head. The bigger question though is, you know, what do you do if you are in an HOA and there are rules. And we do have a few examples. Um, There is one friend of mine in particular, Dana Boyle, who I love to use as an example. She is a volunteer master naturalist. 
And she, a couple of years ago, decided that she wanted to overhaul our yard, get rid of the conventional turf and turn it into a native landscape. But she lives in an HOA in a, you know, fairly hoity-toity suburb. And she really wanted to do this right. And she didn't want um, her neighbors to be upset. She didn't want to get in trouble with the board. She wanted everybody to be supportive. So she sat down with a landscape designer and they planned out her yard in such a way that it would incorporate native plants, but have this very structured aesthetic to it. And Mm -hmm. she started going to the board meetings, you know, her HOA board meetings. And she kind of presented this idea and she presented the design and said, you know, here's what I'm thinking of doing. And here's why I want to do it. And I want to hear from you all. Are there any changes you'd like to see for you to fully support this? You know, so she kind of went in with that positive mentality of like, you know, you're going to want to support it. Just tell me, (laughs) tell me what to do to, um, you know, to make it work. And it took a couple of meetings, Mm -hmm. but they did eventually get to the point where the board says, yes, we, we like this idea. We support it. They voted yes. She got it installed and the people in the neighborhood love it. And in fact, there's now been, I think, another three people in her neighborhood who got inspired by her and they have gone on to do similar projects in their yard. Oh, so nice. Yeah, it, it's possible. You know, it just means you do actually have to sometimes talk to your neighbors or talk to <laughs> your HOA board you know, don't always assume that they are not going to approve your idea. Um, you know, you just have to kind of put it out there and start making those relationships. Mm-hmm. I've, I had an experience when we moved into this house, uh, a neighbor uh, right next to us has a beautiful yard. Uh, I, I actually really love their yard, but it's very manicured. And they were asking me, what are you doing in your yard? And you know, I had this feeling of like, oh gosh, I've got to explain this to them. And and I just did. I said, here's what I'm doing and here's why, and let me know what you think. And as it turns out, even though they have a different aesthetic, they, they love my yard and mm-hmm. are telling me, I love seeing the birds. Oh, I saw this kind of butterfly in your yard. And, and recently looking forward to seeing the goldfinches in my yard again. So yeah. Oh, I uh, love that story. Yeah, um, I've got, so so my yard, I have been slowly, little by little, picking off, um, you know, transitioning it into a native landscape over the past 10 years since we moved in. Mm. Um, and, you know, and this is another thing I tell people, like, do not, unless you don't work and you just have all the free time and money in the world, do not try to do your entire yard in one year because it's really just not practical or possible. If you every year you pick off like, okay, the first one to go for me was this little skinny strip we have between the edge of our property line and the driveway where you couldn't even fit a lawnmower. I was like, no, that's got to go. That's got to become native gardens. You know, we just kind of picked off little by little. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have an 87 year old neighbor, Barbara who lives kitty corner across the street from me. And, you know, I hear so many people, it's like, there's so much of this, um, you know, generational angst, like, oh, well, you know, the older generation, they're not going to, you know, Barbara loves my garden so much that when I go on vacation, Barbara actually takes pictures of my gardens and then texts them to me and will say, you know, like, you're you're such and such flowers are blooming and I don't know when you're going to be back. So I wanted to make sure to take a picture so you could see it. You know, you didn't miss out on it. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. We should all have a neighbor, neighbor like Barbara. (laughs) So um, it is definitely, I think, especially if you start putting native gardens in your front yard, 
it's a great way to get to know your neighbors and people in your community because people mm-hmm. will stop and they'll they'll talk to you about it they'll ask you questions you know and I find we've gotten to the point in our neighborhood we've got a lot of people who you know put in gardens like this that it's like we kind of identify one another's houses you'll meet somebody and it's like oh wait which one are you oh the greenhouse that's got the veggie gardens on the side and then all the yeah yeah okay no I know which house you are now <laughs> you know? like we can tell one another just by the gardens <laughs> it's true I've I've met so many of my neighbors just by being in the yard and them talking to me about what I'm doing I think because it is um, it's not super unusual here, but it's unusual kind of right here. So it's true. I also think your advice about starting small is is so good. I bit off a little more than I could chew the first year and had to go back and redo a little bit. Um, so I've been doing little by little. But also, I think uh, it helps you also learn the microclimate of your yard. Mm-hmm. I've tried several native species, species that are native to me in my yard. And most of them do really well, but there's been one or two that just didn't really take, just didn't really do well. And I think it's like, well, they're native to this area, but this part of my yard is just hotter than usual, or, you know, the soil stays more or something. And you, you learn that by doing so doing a little bit at a time helps you figure out, I think what'll go well in your yard. Yeah. You know, and you saying that made me think Something that I don't think people realize until you get several years into native landscaping Mm -hmm. is that your yard becomes a dynamic system. It doesn't stay the same. It will never look the same from one year to the next. So if you're used to gardening with, you know, roses and petunias, it's like you put it in and it's always in that same place. Well, with the native plants, I mean, from one year to the next, some of them get bigger, some of them fade away. And, you know, just things are constantly changing. It's like, we'll have a storm and a big tree blows down in our yard and suddenly a spot that used to be shady, now it's sunny. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, yeah, it's constantly transitioning. So it's it's just a, a lot more like a dynamic natural system than what a lot of us are used to, I think. I'm so glad to hear you say that. I was, in fact, just recently looking back at some photos and videos of my yard from two or three years ago, and I thought, what happened to that plant? I haven't Uh seen that in a while, and I was wondering if I had done something wrong, so I'm so happy to hear you say this. Yeah, I had the exact same experience when I've looked back at ones and gone, oh my gosh, that's right. I used to have a of growing there. Like, whatever happened to that? (laughs) Angie, this has been so helpful. I really appreciate your time and your generosity sharing this knowledge with us. And I wish that I could keep you longer. I'm hoping maybe we can bring you back for another episode at some point to talk more. So listeners, if you have more questions for Angie or questions about native native flower gardening for a future episode, let us know. And Angie, could you share what are the best ways to find you online uh, and or any other online resources or advice that you want to share? Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm always happy to answer questions if people want to email me at angie.hong at mnwcd.org. For the folks who may be listening from Minnesota, I do have a few Minnesota-centric resources that I could share. One is called Blue Thumb. Dot org. And this is a partnership effort between 
native landscapers, um, native nurseries, and local government and nonprofit organizations that are all promoting native landscaping. So if you go on that website, you can find links to where to buy plants. Um, you can find out about workshops. And um, there's something that's pretty cool called the plant selector tool that you can just enter in like, hey, my yard is shady and it's wet and I want something that blooms in June, boom, it will come up with a list for you. Another cool thing that is Minnesota centric is that the Minnesota Board of Water and Soil Resources actually has $350 grants through a lawns to legumes program that people can apply, apply for in order to plant pollinator gardens. Um, it could be, you know, a meadow, a flowering tree, bee lawn, anything like that. There's another really great organization called Wild Ones that has uh, clubs or chapters in a bunch of different states around the country. So if you aren't in Minnesota or Western Wisconsin, then look and see if you've got a local Wild Ones chapter because they'll a lot of times put on seminars. Um, they might have hikes that meet at, you know, woods or prairies or wetlands in your area. And they'll usually have links to resources as well. I guess the one other thing that I would recommend is just looking into whatever your local extension agent is in the area, um, because a lot of times the extension programs will have good resources for native landscaping too. Nice. Thank you. And I think for our listeners who may be listening, um, to this uh, somewhere where there are notes. I will put this in the notes for the episode as well. And finding your extension office, Angie, what is the way that you search for that? I Here in Maryland, I searched for Maryland University Extension Office and I found mine, but I don't know if for a lot of states, that's the best way to find it. How would you- I honestly you... think that's probably going to be the way you'll have to do it everywhere. You know, if okay. you're in Colorado, look up Colorado Extension. If you're in Wisconsin, look up Wisconsin Extension. Um, it's usually not too hard because I fairly often do it when I'll get questions for people, come, you know, that are living in other states and I'll kind of look it up and then send them the link just to make it a little easier for them. But- oh. My experience is that almost always they will have some section of the website that will have a guide to native landscaping. Sometimes it will even be a nice booklet with templates that you can use. So it's worth looking into. Great. Thank you. And these are usually university, agricultural university extension offices. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Thank you again, Angie. It has been wonderful talking to you. I love, again, your account on TikTok is just a really great place. Uh, also, if folks are looking for fun, quick advice on native plants, I'm really glad that we were able to connect that way. Thanks for yeah. joining us. Yeah, it's been great. So much fun. And I'm so glad that you uh, started this podcast and excited to hear more of the episodes. Donna, that was a great interview. So I, I was really excited to get to hear from Angie Hong. When you first told me about her, um, when we first started talking about the podcast, I, I went on her TikTok and looked at all of her content. And, you know, there's definitely a lot more that we could talk about with her than just native landscaping. Kind of, for instance, yeah. like she, she's got several different playlists, you know, one called Garden with Native Plants. It's got great tips and, and resources. And she's even got some examples of like HOA homes with native landscaping. 
Yeah, which is really cool because, as you know, I live in an HOA with very kind of strict guidelines as to what kind of plants and such we can have in our front gardens and stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love that. Um, she's so welcoming for people who are just starting off, um, and mm -hmm. makes it really easy for folks. I just love that about her. She does, yeah, and she does some really fun videos too. And you know, I'm a dad, so she has videos with her kids involved with it too. Like she's, she even talks about stuff like plant identification and hacks and tips for hikers and outdoor people, guides mm -hmm. to poisonous plants. You know, she does, she's not just the native landscaping and all that. She, she works with the, the clean water projects and all of that up there too. So. Yeah. Um, she's incredible. Yeah. We should, we should see if we can get her back at some point. I, I, yeah, I could have a lot we could talk about. Yeah. <laughs> I really like, she gave some really good tips. Um, Cause I'm kind of one of those people. And I think a lot of us houseplant people are, we kind of dive full on into something like, you know, I'm going to start collecting monsteras and you just find all the monsteras you can. She, she said, you know, it's good to start small. You know, you don't want to try and overwhelm yourself by mm -hmm. tackling your whole yard at the beginning of the year. So, you know, I'm pretty sure what I'm going to start with, you know, I have just one flower bed by the front porch and then a little flower bed around the front tree in the front yard. So I'll probably just start with those and, mm -hmm. and kind of go from there. Yeah. Also, I think doing like one flower bed, you know, the first year, it mm -hmm. also helps you get to know the kind of microclimates in your yeah. yard and the, I've planted several native plant species in my yard and most of them did really well. Um, that's one great thing about native plants. They do well in your climate, but mm -hmm. there were a couple that just didn't do well. And I think, you know, there's like particular parts of my yard or my yard, as opposed to kind of the larger region here, you know, there are parts of it right. that get a little more wind and that are a little well, one too part wet. may get a little bit more sun or, mm -hmm. you know, one part shaded partially by a tree during the hottest part of the day. So, I mean, it's kind of, you have to learn, you know, your environment there too. Yes, she, she even talks right. about it. I think you'll talk about like the the ever evolving nature of native plants, you know, mm -hmm. as they're going in and out of season and other ones are coming in and your flower beds change and all of that. So you kind of don't, you know, it kind of makes sense not to start with your whole yard because you don't know what it's going to look like next year. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know Jay that you do such an incredible job with your indoor house plants. I can't wait to see what you're going to do outside with your yard. Yeah. And that's a big reason why I really kind of want to do as many native plants as possible, because as you know, I don't have a whole lot of space inside for plants and I don't want to have to bring a whole bunch in during the winter and stuff. So, you know, I'm trying to find plants that'll be hardy to my zone. Mm -hmm. I'm like literally right on the line of zone 8A and 8B. So that's a good gardening zone. It is. <laughs> yeah. That's a wrap for this episode of Grow with Jay and Donna, where we talk about indoor houseplants and outdoor native gardening. So make sure you follow the podcast on Instagram at Jay and Donna Grow, where you can get sneak peeks behind the episodes, as well as maybe even get hints at future episodes. 